Um, yeah, let's let's do the slam thing first, which will be I'll try to keep that pretty short and sweet as well. Good deal. Um, I've been fortunate to interview, you know, Nat Turner and a bunch of guys for this. And then also cool. um, talking to the arenas later today, which you should definitely have them on the podcast. Absolutely. No, I do. And, I, I do. They, uh, In fact, that's going to be a lot of what uh, they, they're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Absolutely. I don't really know them. I know of their work, but I definitely would want to interview them. Amazing people. I've talked to them about you and um, I've kind of helped them with some PR and just yeah. kind of help them navigate the industry as they come back. Um, and they, you know, they fully trust me whenever somebody reaches out on Instagram, they say, do you know this guy or who's this? And, uh, I've talked to them about you and they are there. They would for sure be interested. So well, you um, happy to connect the dots for you. First dibs with your podcast, but eventually I'd like to know, I mean, they belong in the hall of fame. Yep. In the hall of fame, maybe not. Well, I mean, any sport hall of fame that they did work, they, they, they were, um, and you know, it wasn't that their cards were not appreciated. It's just, they weren't appreciated as much dollar wise. Now people are seeing this melding of art and collecting and it, it, it's just, you know, they're, they're getting prices for their base cards that they designed that are equal to a good insert card. Yeah. Which is shocking. And, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to your episode um, talking about the other day, talking about that, talking about how there's been a surge and yeah. I think uh, underappreciated maybe, but even what you had mentioned on the pod was how, even though these are so limited number wise, they're not all out there. You know, there's some have been thrown away. Some even are there were a hundred made there. You know, it's amazing how people miss things. Uh, and so they're, they're not all in existence. They're yeah. in a dumpster, in a landfill, which is yeah. shocking and makes you want to go, go to a landfill. <laughs> it makes you want to dig into the closets of, of some of these, you know, I've heard so many stories of somebody passed away and then somebody got, you know, somebody I know they either brought in their collection or, or, you know, somehow found it. And it just, it's, you know, the stuff they find is just shocking. First and foremost, you know, the nineties, in my opinion, were one of the, the greatest eras in all of sports, not just the hobby. Um, but what factors do you think contributed to the massive popularity and growth of basketball cards in the nineties? Probably Michael Jordan, you know, the, I mean, Larry Bird and, and uh, Magic Johnson kind of paved the way and they were amazing, but, and they had a, this, this back and forth, but when Michael, you know, Michael owned the nineties, I think, I mean, I guess he's, you know, not the whole nineties, but, you know, he even took time out for base, uh, for baseball. And he's got he's got six rings. So just you know, the last dance was you know evidence of that. So I think it's the it's the decade of Jordan. And uh, even back in the '90s when cards were coming out, uh, the Jordan cards were just not put into circulation. Those rare you know case insert Jordans, impossible. And the price now reflects that. Yeah. So you had Jordan and Griffey and Barry Sanders and Frank Thomas and Cal Ripken. You had so many icons. Can you talk about just the sports culture in the '90s and, and the impact that had as a, as a whole in context to other decades as well? Well, in context of other decades, I you know again, you're catching me cold on this, but I really feel like basketball is the one that had the singular icon. There are other stars, but the clear star of stars was Jordan. And I'm not sure you could say that in uh, in football. You know, when you start talking about Barry Sanders, you know, in Dallas, Texas, he takes a back seat to uh, Emmett Smith. So we had that, you know, with, you got Favre, but you got Marino, you got Elway, you got Joe Montana. And so th there's this battle of who's the best in baseball. Griffey was great, but Frank Thomas had his day in the sun. And, and, um, you know, there were, you know, uh, Derek Jeter. So the one that stands head and shoulders above the others, as perhaps LeBron did in the, in the, in the late, you know, from 2005 to maybe till now, I don't know, but, well, you know, there was a, there, maybe Kobe was up there. So basketball in some way has had a more of a singular icon one at a time. And I think that's so it's the person you love to love or perhaps love to hate. 
and it's it's all that focus on one. I think that's that's different from the other sports. I agree. I mean, Jordan was massive in basketball, but then would you say that helped rise the uh, kind of raise the profile of basketball as a whole? You had Penny and Shaq and Grant Hill, and you know then Kobe and Iverson and those guys as well. Can you talk about that a little bit and how you know kind of that helped raise the whole profile of the game? Well, uh, the NBA has done. Um, uh, an excellent job of integrating the, uh, the the players and the franchises and making the players uh, accessible. It helps that you're closer to the to, to the court. Uh, but when I have, I've had my season tickets for the Mavs for 30 years, and uh, I let go my football season tickets. I let go my baseball. I let go my hockey, even though my hockey were also very close. But basketball, the fun that I have is that every team that came in had a draw. So it wasn't just going to see the home team of which the Mavs have gone from Dirk now to Luka. And so that, that's wonderful in its own right. But when the Lakers come to town now, or before that, the Cavs or the Heat, wherever LeBron was, it was a super hot ticket. And so, but like you said, the other guys, Allen Iverson, you know, that, you know, Grant Hill, Shaq, uh, Tracy McGrady was, was, it was, uh, I can't say he was underrated, but at his peak, he was unstoppable. He was, he was, a, he was another Kobe. He yeah. could do what he wanted to. Yeah, one of the greatest scorers in my lifetime, for sure. So when it comes to the hobby, what would you say the best things in the hobby are as far as camaraderie and, and just connecting the dots with people and you know grabbing your favorite player, things like that? What are your favorite things or what do you consider the best things in the hobby? Well, that's an excellent way of phrasing the question, Jordan, that uh, uh, the relationships uh, are really key and are what have endured, uh, we perhaps erroneously thought pre-COVID that the primary aspect was the dynamic element of what was going on on the court and that, that people collected cards and they collected in season more, more, you know, a little bit more. They really followed the sport. And when somebody had a good game, his price maybe could go up. But now we've had a time of no sports whatsoever, no, nothing going on at all live. And yet the hobby has done really well. And it's because there have been relationships formed. And it's more than just what's going on in the court. You've got your other collecting friends. And what ha- what's true now that wasn't true 20 years ago is that 20 years ago, you only had your friends' friends. You didn't have virtual friends as much. Now you can have people all over the globe that share a love. And, you know, sports will come back. Uh, but those friendships have endured. And maybe they've even deepened. Yeah, it's more access. It's more the ability to show off your cards not just at a show or the shop with Instagram and social media. And, and to your point, being able to have a voice, everybody can start a podcast or uh, create a video on YouTube or something. So it's, it's pretty amazing to see that growth and how the hobby is kind of ebbed and flowed. But right now it's, it's, uh, I mean, the internet's not going anywhere. Right. So it's, uh, it's interesting there. So this is a little bit of a loaded question um, to the average Joe who reads this slam piece or a basketball fan, who's going to read this slam piece. Why do basketball cards matter in your opinion? Well, I mean, it, you mean compared to other cards or compared um, to... In general. So when you meet somebody who doesn't know much about cards, you know, why is that a oh, thing? Why, well, that be whether you even collect at all. And uh, basically, in the old days, cards were kind of pocket-sized, but heaven forbid if you put them in your pocket. But, uh, you know, it's they're, 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 uh, you know, you've got a, a pleasing art, you know, a representation of the player, some stats on the back. Uh, and then who knew? From back in the day, some of those uh, cards have, have gotten me valuable. Well, now they're valuable from the get-go. And so there is a, an aspect that you can buy something and it you can then sell it. You can enjoy it, sell it sooner, sell it later. Uh, again, there's no sure things, but the the path and track record of, uh, of cards has been largely upward. 
you know, there have been some plateaus. There have been some lulls where the interest has not been as strong. But even when there was a plateau, people didn't say, oh, I'm going to get rid of, they thought I'm going to get rid of my base cards or I'm going to get rid of my common cards or I'm going to get rid of my lesser stars. But there's an emotional connection with your favorite player. And you've got Brett Favre in football and you've got, you know, you know, junior in baseball and, and, uh, and Jordan in basketball. But Jordan is, I won't say stands, well, he, he arguably is, stands above those guys as being more dominant in his sport, a sport that he had so much visibility. And, and so uh, when you're reading headlines about some of the tougher Jordan cards from the 90s uh, in his prime, they're just stratospheric. And that gets attention. Yeah, I think not only the most dominant on the court, but I think head head and shoulders, the most marketable athlete I've ever seen and probably of all time. Not just marketable because he, 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 he was, he, uh, it's not that others marketed him as much as he figured out a way to market himself and to be the brand, not, not support the brand, but be the brand. That's to me, that's the distinction. Now LeBron's picking up on that. Uh, you know, Kobe had his own identity. Peyton Manning is, you know, I think, moving in that direction. Uh, Tom Brady has TB12 in his, his TB12. Yeah, you you have to have a certain personality, and uh, but but like I say, Jordan wasn't just he was he marketed himself in a way that that uh, was unprecedented. I think I agree. So you spoke about this on one of the one of your episodes about there being um, not a bubble but a balloon, and how letting some air out, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, and then you talked about the factor of the fact that flippers are a big part of the game and uh, once they leave the party, it's, it's game over um, in some aspects. So could you talk about kind of the state of the hobby right now and how popular cards are right now? What led to that? And then, you know, kind of, uh, we can touch on it more on your episode, but um, I'm just thinking through, you know, what factors led to the the recent resurgence. We talked about the last dance and COVID and things like that, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, good news breeds more good news. I mean, people, uh, even though I did an episode about following the herd, that that is the case for most people. They hear what's hot and they they want to jump in. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that things don't stay insanely hot forever. Uh, the problem with letting air out of the balloon is why don't you go first, Jordan, and lower the price on some of your cards to give somebody a chance? Because I think some of your cards are overpriced. You know how ridiculous that sounds. You know it's tough. Well, or to tell Panini to stop. Yeah, you need to reduce your production, and Panini, yeah. you need to reduce your production, and Upper right. Deck, you need to reduce your production. And just why can't we just all cooperate and just make less sales and less profits. It's, it's even if they want to do that, the player association and which you're very well aware of is not eager to, Hey, I, I don't know. They're lowering their guarantees and those kind of things. So um, I just think a healthy hobby, a healthy, anything uh, is going to have some ebb and flow. And so if it's keeps going up every year without exception, that uh, that's just not realistic. It, it won't. So the question is the first year that it stays the same or goes down a little bit, do people freak out? And again, it's still a great game. There's going to be new stars coming along. Um, so I don't know if that's letting air out of the balloon, but um, you know what what they've done. I just thought of this analogy. You know, traffic lights. I think used to be one big light, and now they're a bunch of LEDs. And so if a, if a kid was had a BB gun and wanted to shoot out a traffic light, you know, 40 years ago, I'm not saying I did anything like that, but if somebody did that, they could knock out the whole light, and then it goes dark. Nowadays, you'd have to have a shotgun or something. There's, there's all kinds of these little, and so if a hobby is more like the all the 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 small points of light, you know, LEDs. That if uh, if uh, if uh, some player gets in a scandal and his cards crash, that doesn't have to have a that doesn't have to have the negative ripple effect. 
you know, that yeah, I think I think you'll so see that's a lot of the way cool. I look at it. The hobby is stronger than one person. And now we found it is stronger even than whether or not anything's going on on the court on the field. Yeah, that's true. So over the last I got back in the hobby in 2014. I've seen it really grow since 2017. What factors would you say have led to that that huge resurgence over the last, let's call it three years? I think a lot of it's guys like you. I mean, you're exceptional. You're unusual. You're one of a kind, Jordan. I'm not saying that, but people your age have have jumped back in with a vengeance and increasingly so. I, I, you know, when I'm interviewing people and talking to people, there's a lot of people, you know, the, it's just never too late to jump in. And I don't, I don't think it's too late right now, even because there, there are niches in the industry that if you seek out something you love, you can really enjoy this hobby. But apparently some, some, you know, your generation, uh, you know, got rebitten by the bug that they were aware of when they were a little kid and they came back and they found that the hobby, the industry was cooler than it was then. Yeah. More and more interesting way you can connect with people on Instagram or like you said, just guys that like me, I just started a podcast and it, it allows us to connect and yeah. it opens a lot of doors and it brings a lot of joy. I think that's the one thing is, is the hobby is a, a form of self-expression. Yeah. The other thing that's really, you know, I'm just kind of formulate on the fly here, but when somebody jumps into it, that's your age, they are shocked. They're double shocked in opposite ways. They are shocked that some of the really cool cards that they were going for that were $10 cards back in the day are now not even dollar cards, but it gets more, it's more interesting than that because that's many of them, but they're also $10 cards they wanted back in the day that are now worth a hundred. Okay. So it's not as simplistic. Oh, the cards when I was a kid, they weren't worth anything. No, certain ones have, have not just had enduring value, they've had amazing increases. And and you're especially tuned into that. But I don't know that you were tuned into that in 2014. In fact, if you were, you should have bought every tough card in 2014 that you could find. And maybe you did. I bought a lot of the tough far ones. I'm just saying uh, they, they've gone up. Uh, they have gone crazy. The I have three. I went through my Kobe's two nights ago and I have 335 Kobe rookies just raw, just a lot of the base ones. So I bought a lot of base cards. I bought, you know, the one lot, the claim to fame is the Giannis SP. I bought 82 of them for 324 bucks. So I, there's a few that I, I did well on. But yeah, I mean, if, if I knew now what I knew, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I would have bought every Giannis SP prism, you know, silver, whatever else. So yeah, sounds good. Well, I'm good on the slam piece. That's good stuff. That's um, mm-hmm. that should give me some good ammo. So 